in about an hour, uh, probably let's say two hours, Teresa and I will load up and drive over to the woodlands to endure my grandson's first birthday party. And uh, my grandson is, uh, well, he's come a long ways in a year. Jacob, put those pictures up there, if you will. I want to, and actually this is part of the sermon. I'm not just bragging on my grandchildren. (laughs) So um, a year ago, Thursday, this past Thursday, Declan was born three months premature, two months premature, excuse me, at three pounds and two ounces. And that's the picture of him on the left. I think that probably was almost exactly a year ago that that picture was taken. And, uh, okay, now that's my, your left, whichever side. The one not with the clown face on is one taken a year ago. The one with the clown face is his first birthday pictures, okay? And I want you to get a good handle on the difference that a year makes in growth, Now, what you can't see in that picture with him with the clown face and the silly hat on is that he's got a little birthday cake sitting uh, in his lap. And one of the pictures that we got that I didn't bring with me uh, has him face planted down into that cake. So that's how, that's really not paint. That's icing all over his face there, okay? But the difference between what you see on the far side of this uh, to my right and the near side to my left, the difference uh, between those two is the difference that a year makes in a healthy kid. It's a pointer for us today of one of those fundamental truths that hits us right between the eyes when it comes to how we do church. Here's a good spiritual truth. Healthy things grow. Now, sometimes that growth is visible. Sometimes it's not so visible. But the reality is that healthy things grow when it comes to our spiritual lives. Healthy things grow. Question for you. Are you further along in your spiritual journey today than you were a year ago today? As you look backwards over the last year in your life, I'm not so much concerned right now with all the stuff of your life. I'm really wanting you to lock in on how are you better today spiritually than you were a year ago. And the truth is healthy things grow. Here's another way of saying it that fits right into the heart of what we're doing here. And that is that growth is a natural byproduct of being an apprentice with Jesus. That's a little hard for us to wrap our mind around sometimes because we immediately want to jump to growth being numbers if we're talking in a church context. And that may or may not follow, but the reality is that when it comes to you as an individual, when you attach yourself to Jesus Christ and commit to be a follower of him, not just to carry his name, 
Not just one of those situations where you go, yeah, well, you know, I believe all that stuff. I'm Christian and I'm a church member. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deciding to follow Jesus and attach yourself to him. Growth is a natural byproduct when you do that. So it speaks to our health individually and corporately when we come to talk about the stuff of this day. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 is where I want you to go. And um, while you're turning there, let me just kind of give you a little bit of background from my vantage point uh, relative to this passage. I had a mentor in college. Uh, He stretched beyond college, as mentors tend to do. But I I didn't know anything about him until I got to Wayland Baptist University way back in, you know, in the 1900s. And uh, I uh, met Dr. Manning in a classroom setting. But I got to know him on the golf course, and I got to know him uh, just standing around talking, going to his office, you know, those kind of things. And, and then after I graduated from there, and even after I graduated from seminary, uh, I had Dr. Manning come to my church and do some things that were uh, instructive for us as a church at the time there. And uh, he, he has been, for me, one of those, those guys that God used to teach me great truth. And I think it was from him the first time I came across Ephesians 4 as a minister. Uh, because Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, is, um, it, it's, it's marching orders for ministers. And, and Dr. Manning helped me to get that. So let me read that and I'll help you understand where I'm coming from. Verse 11 of chapter 4, the book of Ephesians says, And he, that is Christ, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, in some passages, will read pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And Dr. Manning drilled into us as young preacher boys in those days that our responsibility as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ was to equip people to be disciples. To do the work of service. Not, not that the minister is the one who is to do the work of service, although there's plenty of that for us to take on. But the reality is that we are called to train, to equip, to disciple disciples so that the work of the kingdom of God moves forward at all times. Dr. Manning drilled that into us. And it served me well as a young minister, as a youth minister, particularly in those days. It was one of those things that just kind of drilled itself in and through me so that I began to do the work that I was doing as a minister with this specific focus on helping people become followers of Jesus Christ and to equip them for his kingdom's work. But it was a different setting that helped me to get to what is really the meat of this passage. It would be easy if you just took verse 11 there, verses 11 and 12, and said, well, you know, that doesn't really affect me because I'm not a minister and I'm not one of those groups that's mentioned there. So more power to you, preacher. Hope you got something out of it. But see, verses 14 and following, or 13 and following, now move outside of just the minister and it pushes this set of truths into the lap of every Christian of all time. 
So let me back it up and read from verse 12. He gave these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And here's what we have to take on, all of us, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It was in a small classroom in Glorieta, New Mexico. At the conference center that was there, at some youth minister training thing for a Sunday school week done a long time ago, that the teacher stood up. I don't even remember who the teacher was, what his name was. I know he was at a, mucky, a muckety-muck in youth work in the Southern Baptist Convention. And he took this passage and he took what Dr. Manning had taught me and he just breathed life into the rest of it for me. And it was a very uncomfortable thing. Because all of a sudden I realized that it was not enough for me as a minister to equip people to do God's kingdom's work. It was up to me as a Christian to grow up. And then on top of that, it was up to me as a minister to equip people to do kingdom work, which means it also equipped those people to grow up. And now the task was a lot bigger for me. How do you teach someone to grow up? We find ourselves now taking another step in this passage or in this series, I guess is a better way to say it, as we work our way through this summer and into the early parts of the fall, we're looking at values. And what we find out of this passage here is this basic truth, and that is that change is a necessary norm for us if we're going to fulfill our purpose. In other words, if we're going to be who God called us to be and accomplish the things that he called us to accomplish, we are going to have to change. And the reason for that is because growth is change. And I give you again the picture of my grandson. The difference a year makes from being inside that cocoon, whatever that was, with all of the stuff hooked up to him, to being the kid who lights up a room with his smile. Change happened. So much change happened that it causes us to step back on this thing and go, wow, that's just an amazing thing. It's only been a year. And look at how far he's come. How far have you come in a year? So in this series where we're talking about pillars, let me just go back and remind you what the basic point of the whole series is. And that is that the values that we embrace create a culture that supports the identity that we affirm. In other words, the values that we as a church say, this is what we stand for. This is our core belief system. These are the ways that we will do life together. Those values combine to create a culture here. And the culture that we create here ultimately supports, it holds up the identity that we take. 
Now, if we adopt an identity that is not the right one, it's because our values were wrong. Our values set the culture, but the culture helps us to say, well, this is who we are. So if we happen to want to be a church that destroys people, that chews people up and spits them out, then we won't have a value that says people matter. But if we have a value that says people matter, then we'll begin to have a culture here where we will treat people like they matter, and then that affirms our identity as the people of God. It's a simple concept. It's just hard to pull off. Because the reality is we have all kinds of values that just kind of find their way in. So over the summer, what I'm hoping to do with this is to highlight those values that we either do have or should have and say, let's be this. The first one we looked at a couple of weeks ago was what I've already said a couple of times now, and that is people matter. And so we need to treat them as if they matter. That's why we have that umbrella that we showed you last time, and I talked about that a few weeks ago, because, you know, ideally an umbrella is to help somebody not get wet. And so when we come to church, one of the things that we need to be true here is that all of us, always without fail, treat people like they matter. But that one then leads us into the second one, which is today. And that is, and I'm going to give you half of it first. The first half of the pillar that we're going to look at today or the value that we have today is that we need to go somewhere. Years ago, Teresa and I loaded up a bunch of teenagers because I was a youth minister in the days and our church had a cabin at Glorietta. And so we would go up there and we loaded up a bunch of teenagers and went to Glorietta, New Mexico, stayed in our cabin. And then we got on our bus and we drove over um, to Taos, New Mexico. It's not that far drive. And it was during the summertime. And so we were going to take those teenagers white white water rafting. You ever done that? You should do that. If you haven't done that, you should do that. There's your vacation plans, okay? So uh, we went over and loaded up all these kids, and we got over there. That We'd been doing some mission work. And, uh, and so as we get to the place, the guy says to us, okay, this is going to be more fun than you've ever had before. You're going to enjoy it. It's going to be, you're going to get wet the whole nine yards. Uh, and so you see those rapids right there? Well, we're going to come through those things later this afternoon, and it's going to be all kinds of fun. And so he sold us, we had already bought the tickets, but he sold us on how much fun it was going to be. He told us, in other words, we're going somewhere today. But before we could do that, he loaded us up on his bus, wasn't nearly as nice as our bus was. And he took us way up the road to this kind of a landing area in the Rio Grande River there, just in the Box Canyon or just outside the Box Canyon near Taos, New Mexico. And he unloaded all of us and we stood there on this sandy place along the river there. And for about 45 minutes, uh, he gave us all of the safety stuff we needed to know. And he gave us us this, this crash course in how, as a group, to handle a raft going through rapids. Now that's just dumb, all right? Because I had a bunch of teenagers, nothing personal, you know, teenagers, but I had a bunch of teenagers. They didn't listen to how to run a raft. All they could, they're playing in the water and they're throwing rocks and all that stuff. And so we get into this raft and for the first half of the day, all we did was paddle down that river. 
I hated that part of it. And I kept playing because it's hot. I mean, you know, it's like way hot. And I kept playing this, this tape in my head of what this guy said. You're going to have more fun today than you should ever be able to have. And I kept thinking, this is no fun. You lied and took my money. But you know what? After lunch, we hit those rapids that he was talking about. And it was more fun than a person ought to be able to have legally. It was a blast. Because by then, all those knuckle-headed teenagers I had taken had figured out how to run a raft. You see, those people were smart enough not to put them in the rapids first. He put, them in, put us all in way upstream so that we could learn how to handle ourselves before we got to the rough stuff. Enter Exhibit A for the growing Christian life. First of all, you got to get in the boat. But that promise that Jesus makes, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life that's more fun than you ought to be able to have. Well, Jesus doesn't say it that way. He says that you may have life, what? Abundant. Okay? In other words, a life that will blow your mind. But if you find yourself in the first half of the trip, of that rafting trip, where it's just all work and you're having to learn how to paddle and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't seem like it's all that fun. So either Jesus was lying to us or maybe we're missing something. The reality is that Jesus never lies to us. And the life that he promised to us is the life that is ours. You don't have to work your way halfway through life before you start getting to the fun stuff of it. The reality, and fun's probably not the right word there, but the reality is that what Jesus offers to us as his disciples, as his apprentices, what he offers to us is a life that blows our minds. But you see, our churches have been guilty of selling a life calling it the Christian life that is little more than a get-out-of-hell-free card that you get at the end of your life. So in other words, what Jesus promised to us does involve that eternal life when this life is over, you get to be in heaven with him. But what about in the meantime? And so in the meantime, we come to this promise of life. But the promise that Jesus gives to us also implies what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, and that is that you have to do something with that life. You have to grow. But growth requires change. One of the things that kills so many churches in our day and age is they just refuse to change. And I've had this discussion before. I'll just make it real quick here so I don't you know, retread old ground too much. But I know I, you know, Baptist preachers get killed for saying change from the pulpit. Because people start going, oh, no, no, wait a minute. We're not going to do change. I hate change. Well, you know what? In all the Christian love I can imagine, if you say you hate change, that's a lie. Because I know when I don't know, no, I'm just playing the odds here. But every one of you change your underwear. <laughs> like every day. Like every day. If you don't, you should, okay? Public service announcement, okay? You, you drive, before you get home tonight, you're probably gonna, today, you're gonna probably change lanes driving. 
It's not that you don't like change. You just don't like the change you don't like. And the reality is that growth, by definition, means change has to occur. So one of the reasons so many Christian people find themselves at a stagnant place in their Christian life is because they just don't change. You know, it's like the guy who's hitting himself with a hammer, just continues to hit himself with his hammer. And his buddy walks up, what, what are you doing hitting yourself with a hammer? I don't know, it sure does hurt. Well, why don't you stop it? Oh, I can stop it? So we, don't, we don't think that way, but we sometimes operate that way. So how are you different than you were a year ago? So, so the pillar that we're looking at here is the one that says we're going somewhere. But this going somewhere for us really implies and needs to be more than an implication. It, 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 there's two pieces of it. Personally, are you going somewhere? The value that we want to create and the culture that we want to create in our church is that as an individual and as a group, we are always on the move around here. What do these apprentices of Jesus, or where do they go? Look what Paul says. Let me take a couple of verses here and help us to understand some of this. Look look at where we're supposed to go. If we're going to be on the move and we're going somewhere, look what he says in verse... Well, this gets tough in a hurry. Verse 13. We'll get to the, until we all attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. We'll get to that in a minute. But look to what he says. That these individuals, verse 11, are called to equip the saints for the work of service. Verse 12. And then the last part of verse 13. To mature manhood. Well, what does that look like? I made a comment one time. I was preaching. A church I came from and we had a guest choir that came to our services that day and their leader was guy who had been a minister of music in that church when I was youth minister in that church because before I became pastor and and so Bob brought his senior adult choir on tour to our church and those they filled our choir loft behind me and as I got up to preach after they had done a mini concert before that it, it didn't it didn't dawn on me what I was saying as it related to those people. I already had the sermon planned. And so I got up and I said this, a question. Are you mature or are you just old? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Those old people were offended by that. Okay, and it, and it bothered me that I had offended them until it dawned on me that they proved the point of my question. If that question offended them, they certainly were not mature. <laughs> so uh, I, had, I had another comment with another person one time and it offended somebody else because it was tied to a situation in church and this person came in and they said, you know, so-and-so is upset. And I said, so-and-so, and, you know, I knew this person was advanced in age. Uh, and I knew what they were allegedly upset about. And I said uh, this. You know, that is the most immature old person I've ever met. <laughs> and that offended this other person. 
So it's just better if I keep my mouth shut. Don't, don't come to my office and ask me what I think about anything. <laughs> Here, here's where I'm going with all that. I just want you to know, okay, I, I have to live with myself. I know that sometimes stuff comes out that I probably should hang on to, but, you know, sometimes I want to say to us, including myself, grow up. If you, if you walk around, you're offended all the time. With all the love I can muster, grow up. This world is really good at hurting people. So don't walk around as a target. And the only way that I can say that you can really do that and do that well is to take to heart what Paul says here. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, etc., to mature manhood. And, and if you don't know what that looks like, look at the last part of that verse. To the me- let this really sink in, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the goal is to be like Jesus. I don't want to offend you or anybody else. But if we have accepted a standard of being that is anything less than Jesus Christ, not to be him, but to be like him, then we've missed it. One of the things that we know as we look at churches and how churches tend to operate, it's just easier to throw a bunch of programs and a bunch of classes that teach people stuff to do rather than how to be and to be like Jesus. So go somewhere, but don't go just anywhere. Go to Jesus and let him grow you up. That's a value for us. As church, we need to be about helping people to do that. If if you want to know what that looks like, let me take you to two guys, two individuals who play this out for us. Just go with me to the seashore, the Sea of Galilee, in one of those fishing villages up on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And Jesus is walking along the side and he sees these fishermen out in a boat doing the fisherman thing. These guys were commercial fishermen. They were good at what they did, but Jesus had the audacity to walk by them and say, hey, you guys, won't you just come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so one of those guys, Simon Peter, decides he's gonna follow Jesus. And Simon Peter is the original road trammel preacher. (laughs) Opened his mouth when it's better to keep it shut most of the time. But that's who he was. He was just the raw fisherman that Jesus called. But remember what Jesus said to him, follow me. He became an apprentice of Jesus Christ. He attached himself to Jesus. And so for about three years, he followed Jesus around and he watched Jesus as he did these miracles. 
And he listened to Jesus as he taught in ways that nobody else could teach. And in the process of all of that, even Simon Peter with those other disciples who were with him, occasionally, like in the boat, after he had worked a miracle out there in the middle of the sea, he said, who is this guy that even the winds and the seas obey him? Simon Peter was in process. He was growing up. He was maturing as a disciple until that fateful night for him when he had the opportunity to clutch it. And instead he dropped it. I don't know that dude. Jesus was about to go to the cross. Simon Peter at least had enough following in him to stay close. But when the rapids hit for him, he said, I don't know that dude. And it destroyed him until Jesus came to him after the resurrection and said, hey man, do you love me? Three different times, Jesus drilled the point home for him. Hey, man, I love you. Follow me. Do what I've called you to do. You've grown to this point. Do what you know. And so we move from the end of the gospel into the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And that big mouth fisherman who had blown it on the night that Jesus was arrested, now is the guy, that courageous disciple, who stands in the public marketplace testifying to who Jesus is and what he's done and shakes his finger in the face of the very men who crucified Jesus and said, you're the ones who did it. How do you get to that kind of depth? You follow Jesus. Because Jesus will systematically grow you to be more than you are today. Or I could take you to another disciple, another one of those fishermen, a guy by the name of John, one of the two sons of thunder. Remember the story where they essentially suggest that Jesus calls down fire from heaven on a village for rejecting Jesus? John had a love problem for people. He just didn't care about them too much, apparently. But then when he goes, after three years with Jesus, when he goes to write the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Nobody gets being loved like someone who has a problem loving people. And John so grew as a disciple of Jesus, to be more like Jesus. That over in the book of 1 John, many times he says, in one way or another, if you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta love people. That pushes me to this truth before I step into the next part of this. The best mark of maturity for a follower of Jesus Christ is the way they love people. I've been, I just recently finished reading this book, pretty simple read, but uh, the truth of it is strong for us. We're talking about what it means to be a disciple transformed by Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses as I just run through them very quickly. I'm not even gonna give you the references. All of these are out of scripture, but it underscores the truth of what I just said. The best mark of a maturing Christian is the way they love God and love people. 
And so in John 13, he says, love one another. Another place, Paul says, show family affection to one another. Paul again says, be in agreement with one another. Again, Paul says, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, serve one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God also forgave you in Christ. Boy, I'd like to read that one again. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God also forgave you in Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Another place, Paul says, admonish one another with all wisdom. In another place, he says, encourage one another and build each other up. In another place, Peter says, be hospitable to one another. And we go on and on and on through the New Testament. And these disciples of Jesus, responsible for writing the New Testament on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, drill it home to us. Love each other. So we're going somewhere. Individually, are you? Are you growing in your love for people? Not just those strangers who are out there. They're easy to love because you don't have to live with them. The people close to you who get under your skin. The preacher who bothers you every time he gets up. When we love rightly, it positively impacts every relationship we have. Yesterday, I did a wedding. It's the end of wedding season for me. It's all the scheduled ones I have for people in our church at least. Uh, but I have one more to do before the year is out. I've had all kinds of weddings this year. And uh, I, I always have the best seat in the house for a wedding because I'm up there close to the couple and I, I get to see them looking at each other, you know, they just get lost in each other's eyes. It's, it's, it's sickening is what it is, but uh, I just want to interject in those wedding ceremonies if you only knew what's going on. <laughs> we cover that in premarital counseling stuff, but so yesterday I'm up there and this, these two, I'll call them kids, they're adults, but uh, grew up in our church and uh, I'm watching them look at each other, you know, starry eyes and all this. They don't have a clue what they're saying, what they're getting into. But it's the best seat in the house because it's a good reminder of people who love each other, treat each other differently. So uh, are you going somewhere? Are you growing the measure of the fullness of Christ. Man, what a challenging goal. So I'm out of time. Let me finish this up. Musicians can come on up. Y'all just need to listen quickly. We need to be going somewhere corporately. Take all the stuff that I just said on a personal level and let me push it back to us. First part of verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Did you get that? A mark of a maturing church is unity. We don't have to agree about every little thing, but we do have to be unified. And if we're not unified as a church, we're not growing like we should. <clears throat> One of the things that growth requires is change. And when it comes to a church that is maturing, one of the things that has to be kicked to the curb 
is protecting tradition for the sake of tradition. Some traditions have great meaning and they should be kept. But many traditions we just do because we do them. And if we don't do them, well, you know, brother, sister, and so, such and so, sister, so and so, they're going to get their feelings hurt if we don't do it the way we've always done it. Any of you all have the guts to go tell brother so-and-so and and sister such-and-such to grow up? (laughs) You're going to leave that to the preacher. The reality is, as church, we're moving forward. That's got to be part of the values that create the culture here. We're not ever going to be willing to just sit back and do it the way we've always done it because we've always done it that way. A church that adopts that as their standard is a dying church. And in one generation or two, they'll be gone. And less than one generation, they'll be irrelevant in the community. This world is moving forward at breakneck speed. Technologically, things are happening faster than they did when many of us were children. And if we don't make the commitment to at least be aware And in our awareness to make adjustments, this world will leave us behind like it has in Europe. We have to be careful. So we're going somewhere. But the last part of it is we're going somewhere, but we have to start where we are. The people that we reach and come into this church, maybe it's you. uh, They may not be as progressed as you. They may not be as mature as you. So while we hold accountability, we also hold grace so that people can come alongside. So where are you with this? Are you growing? Are we as a church stagnant or growing? Let's pray. And as we pray, the question to you is, what do you do with this message today? I think that Jesus would say to each of us, Come follow me, and I'll give you a life that will absolutely blow your mind, but there's some rapids in it, and you're going to have to learn some things. The the growth part of this means there's some discipleship that needs to happen. Are you willing to do that, whatever that means and whatever that looks like, whatever that takes, or are you comfortable with where you are? Corporately, are we willing to say, one of the key values around which we are building this church is with the idea that we're not going to sit still. We're moving forward to the glory of God. Will you be part of that? Maybe some of this requires some kind of a major decision for you. Maybe you need to follow Christ, choose to follow him by being his disciple. You never made that choice, but you know you need to. Now's a great time. Just come on And we'll let that happen. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'm going to be part of this church. If this is a church that says we're not going to be stagnant and we're going to move forward and we're going to meet people where they are and we're going to love people, that's the kind of church I want to be part of. Then why don't you just come on and be part of us? And you can come down and we'll talk about how to do that. Uh, Maybe it's just right there where you are. You need to have personal time with God where you come clean with him and say, however you say it, I know that something has to change. I want to grow. Now's the time for any of those decisions. Father, use this time to glorify your name and 
expand your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.